The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay, we are live. Wanna start by reading something. Oh, man. Sunday mornings, man. Sunday mornings were always about church and hockey family and stuff, but I want to give a little perspective on some things. Let me start by saying this, and I mean this because I don't know if I'm going to offend anybody today. Um, If I do, I do. I got this letter, and this letter was from somebody who is trying to reach out to alumni that went to St. James, the school, and the church as a young person. And I'll, I'll read an excerpt from this letter to start. Dear William, congratulations on all of your success. As you well know, St. James set the tone for so many of us that have done great things in life. As an alumni of St. James, we feel it's time that we give back. We stand together and we form unity. Your donation, blah, blah, blah. Try a little snot out of that one. Okay. That's what I think of your letter. Let me explain something today. I am not where I am in life because of St. James. I am there in spite of that place. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to do a character sketch of many of the people that were the influencers of St. James Church's school in Ventnor in the 80s and 90s. And we're going to share that with you. And I'm going to tell you some stories. I've talked about St. James before, but you know what? It's just unique as you dwell on things. As people send you letters for donations. Yes, Miss Alumni of St. James, you wait for that donation that's coming in the same envelope as my Cooley donation. And I wore a Cooley shirt for irony today. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo, Grable Associates in the Shiawassee 6. And I hope my enemies are um, tuned in this morning. How you guys doing? Yep. Good to see you. And I know some friends are tuned in. That's cool. But you know, it's funny how the enemies... You know, it's funny how enemies tune into your stuff. And then they go undercover. It's a public profile, dude. Knock yourself out. You could tune into this shit. It's fine. Today, St. James has hit me hard. I got calls in the middle of the night from people. 
that went to St. James and they needed legal advice. Shocking. And um, let me start by saying this. Henry de Hedeville, one of my best friends, will be for life. Was my best friend growing up. Joey Gaynor's a good guy. Julie Garcia, absolutely amazing person. Deserved more attention at St. James. And then there's going to be some people I'm not going to bring up. But today, let's stick to the administration. Let's focus in on that. It's important to know that we were from Atlantic City. So we used to go to Ventnor to go to St. James. So you had to take a bus there. And that was a pain in the ass. It really was. But my family felt that Ventnor was a better world. In reality, if we're going to stereotype, Ventnor was really a group of assholes that were middle class. And yes, they had more money than Atlantic City. But there was nothing really special about Ventnor. But they had this ego, like they were splitting the atom or something. And St. James, they magnified that. So I'm going to tell some stories about some administrators and such. My perspective. You don't like it? Tune out. Talk shit. Whatever you do. People that have a problem with it. Those that want to hear some truth. Let's rip. First grade. Sister Barbara. And I'm going to take teachers. I'm going to mention names. And by the way, I'm going to invoke the fair comment privilege. Because many of these people have done shit with their lives. I'm sure they would love to sue. But, um, cool. Sister Barbara's okay. First grade was kind of uh, a shocking thing. There was Q, who was Henry, was a good friend. Skylar Davis, a great guy, is a cop in Atlantic City now. And we all came together. And what you learned at St. James is there was going to be this click. Around first grade, they start forming who is going to be successful and who is not going to be successful. And the weird part about that was the people that were writing the script, most of them were really um, unsuccessful, sexually frustrated, tragic individuals. You heard me correctly when I said that. And it was a different time period. I don't have a lot of animosity towards Sister Barbara. She was fine, and Sister Alice was the principal, and blah, nothing. I guess for me, moments in time really take hold in second grade. Now, let me be clear about a few things before we go forward. I do a lot of work in Detroit. And I deal with some serious, serious cases, as you many know. And when I'm dealing with these young people, some tragic occurrences, right? Some falsely accused. Some that made missteps in life. I get to know them. I don't know if we become friends, but we become connected. That's part of what I do as a lawyer. Prosecutors and defense lawyers become creatures of learned behavior. You know? We just do. But I really want to get to the bottom of a story. I want to learn about my client. And so many of my clients tell me 
how things start to go wrong in grammar school. And I feel part of my job is not just to advocate for their innocence, but to also, when we win the case, or get that amazing deal, whatever the mission is, to make a difference in the world. To tell them that some ass making dog money, who had a little bit of power, should not dictate the rest of your life. And that brings us to second grade. Miss Yuzowich. I think that's how you said her name. Oh, man. And this story just came to me last night. Like, I thought back. You know, every memory we have, it's in our subconscious. For better or for worse. We do remember everything. We block shit out. Or we bring it to the surface, but it's there. We had to do these essays. And Miss Yuzowitz wasn't a big fan of mine, but... I did not have it as bad as some other people in that class. Very pretty woman. Very frustrated with life. Making dull money as a teacher at St. James. And what she did this one day. Was she started reading our essays. And she goes, I'm not going to tell you. Who wrote the essays. But I want you guys to raise your hand. And tell us what type of grade you think they should get. Remember, I'm sitting next to Henry. We worked hard on our essays, and our essays came up, and they were got really good grades. And there was this one essay that she starts reading. Now, you have to remember something, guys. People learn on different levels. And sometimes when a kid is not learning, it may be the teacher's fault. But she reads this essay. And one of the assholes in class, he raises his hand. He's one of the golden boys. And he goes, I think that essay deserves an F. And Miss Yuzowitz goes, I agree with you. It deserves an F. This is disgraceful. This person is stupid. They are dumb. They don't belong in this class. They're not good enough for St. James. I'm not going to mention this person's name. This is a disgraceful essay. And here's this little girl. She wasn't on our class long. And she's crying her eyes out. And the whole class knows it's her. Dumb. She's had a really tough life, this person. I ran into her when I was in community college. She was there for alternative school when I was a freshman in college. Because Atlanta Community College... What they did was they had a community college, and they also had alternative school for, like, high school dropouts and young mothers. And here's this girl, sad, sad girl, pretty girl, but sad with life, lost her confidence, and she comes up to me. I didn't recognize her. And she goes, do you remember me? I go, hey, sorry, no, I don't remember you. Who are you? Did we go to school together? Just way back when we did. She tells me her name and I comes back to me. How you been? And she starts telling me. Now she's 18 this time, right? She tells me how when she was seven years old, she'll never forget Miss Yuzowitz reading that essay. And she thanked me. 
She goes, you were still nice to me after that essay. And I always appreciated that. I just looked at her kind of weird. I'm like, huh. Now I'm an 18-year-old kid. I'm an 18-year-old kid in the hood. Um, working full-time at Tropicana. I am at community college. Trying to hang on to a baseball career, which wasn't going to happen. Life was rough, trying to get the family out of the hood. And here's this girl that comes up to me. And she thanks me for a memory from when we were seven years old. And I said, how are you doing? And she goes, not good. Things are never going to be good, but I appreciate you being nice to me that day. How can a teacher destroy the path of a seven-year-old child? You didn't have to read that essay. You didn't have to mock that essay. And the asshole in class who raised his hand to be teacher's pet and jump and throw shade on this kid. The lessons we learn at seven affect us in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s. And it takes a strong mind to overcome the ass we think are in authority. I wish I would known that girl today. I wish I would have known her when she transferred out of St. James. I wish I could have said, hey. I wish I knew enough to say, hey, the teacher's fucking broken. Don't worry about it. You're good. But I'll never forget that. And my time would come with St. James. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, how do you destroy a seven-year-old child like that? I often feel the seven-year-old children are destroyed like that by the powers that be often end up behind bars. And I find myself trying to get them out of that circumstance. And it all started from some underpaid alleged educator mocking them in front of a group. That was St. James in a nutshell. Third grade, Miss Materio. This was just a miserable human being. I learned later, I was told from people, that she was abusive, not sexually, but physically. She taught kindergarten and she taught third grade. She used to say things to me like, your handwriting's horrible. I didn't have you in kindergarten. You would have been somebody big today. I was eight. Just a horrible person. Extremely religious. Beloved by the priest. Beloved by the administration. The ones that really were her chosen few. She went out of her way to make them feel critical, important, empowered. You are going to be stars. She once told me, I won't mention the ass name. She once told me, you really work hard, but you'll never be as talented as this person. Mm, well, you might want to, Flora material, if you're still alive. You might want to Google me and him today. Fourth grade was different. We had Miss Flume, who was a nice enough woman, but she really was... She believed her shit didn't stink. And she had her favorites. Her daughters went to the school, and Miss Flume believed her children were better than everybody else. And I guess it's a common theme... We had Miss Flume for 4th and 6th grade. 
I don't have a lot of animosity towards Miss Flume, other than to say she was the cool kid in high school that never really left that mindset. When she put you down, it wasn't in the cruel manner as a Miss Usewitz or a Miss Materio, but it was like she kind of talked down to you unless you're one of the chosen ones. But not anybody who was really noteworthy in society. Fifth grade, things got weird. Fifth grade, we had Mrs. Smith at first, and she had another kid, and she left, and we got Miss Grimes. I was okay with Bridget Grimes. She was all right. I mean, she had her favorites. She had her golden boys and girls and this and that. The thing you can tell you about Bridget Grimes today, if you look it up, and please do if you want, she went to prison in New Jersey because she was a caregiver, and she starved one of her clients to death. I don't know if this is somebody who should be molding young minds. I've always said this. I've never been in a religious cult. But I did go to St. James was an altar boy for years, so take that for what you will. I think things really get bitter and frustrating reliving some of this stuff when I think back to Kristen Connell in 7th grade. Kristen Connell, she was just out of college. One of a friend of Father Sullivan's family, and we'll get to him. And um, she was just a bitter little human being. She thought she was God's gift to the world. She was an attractive young woman who was teaching this one year. And like the whole world was her oyster, supposedly. She told my family, and I understand something, in seventh grade I was really sick. I was going to the children's hospital all the time. She told my family I was faking my sickness because I didn't want to go to school. She told my family there's serious problems with Billy. He doesn't listen. He's not going to be successful. He'll probably be a casino worker. These are things she's telling. She's judging... A 12-year-old child based upon her views on things. This college graduate who was teaching 7th grade at a Catholic school in Ventnor. Miss Connell once said, you could really see what young people are starting to socialize and who's really developing as somebody important and such. Yes. Many of those people you said were socializing well were having kids at 15 and 16, despite having all the benefits in the world. I remember in seventh grade, Sister Martha, who I didn't like, she was the principal. And you're having a horrible time with Miss Connell. I just can't stand the sight of her. But we're on a bus. And John Paxton, who's successful today, he could attest to this story. There was a special bus for the Atlantic City kids. We were not the chosen ones, right? We had to take a bus to go to St. James. And they made some kind of deal with New Jersey Transit. And New Jersey Transit, that's a story in and of itself, but the New Jersey Transit St. James bus, it was all the ghetto kids. And Sister Martha once said, and she was aiming at the seventh grade class, that Miss Connell was in charge of, 
She goes, if you people don't behave yourselves better. And by the way, nobody was getting beaten. There weren't drugs being dealt. We're talking about like talking in class or not following the religious. We'll, we'll wait for Miss McDevitt in eighth grade. Not following the creed, if you would. But Sister Martha said in seventh grade on the Atlantic City bus and asked John Paxton about this. If things don't change, you people will go back where you belong. There was such a division at St. James. And I would say white and black, right? But there weren't a lot of black students. There was Joey Gaynor. There was Skylar Davis. There was John Paxson. These were talented kids. It was mostly a white class. We were poor and white. That become more valuable of a lesson in high school. But it was socioeconomics at its finest. The ones who made the bigger donations to the church were the ones who got to sit in the front row at church, no matter who really cared about the religion. The people that were the chosen ones were told that every goddamn day, and the ones that weren't were told we weren't going to be anything. And Miss Connell, to me, exemplified what I just said. Eighth grade. Whew. Linda McDevitt. Linda, if you're watching this one, enjoy. I know you like to stalk my Facebook profile sometimes. This was a miserable woman. Because she told 8th grade she felt she had some level of power. She told me I would never be successful. She basically told me I was lying about my sickness. She determined who was going to be a star and who wasn't going to be a star. One of my favorite Linda McDevitt stories is we were selling subs for the class trip. And I didn't want to go on the class trip. Literally that day, I washed Father Sullivan's boat while these people went to Baltimore. I did not want to spend more time with these people. I was done. I was checked out. But the sub money was supposed to go to fund the trip. So I said to Miss McDevitt, I'm not going on the trip. She goes, well, if you don't go on the trip, we'll put that money towards other people who don't have all the money paid for. My best friend was Henry DeHedeville. Q. So Q says to me, B, can I have your sub money to fund my trip? Like, yeah, why not? I sold the subs. Knock yourself out. So I said to Linda McDevitt, can Henry have my money? She goes, I'll decide who gets the money and where it goes. She gave it to two of her favorite students. I want you to think about this because this was a theme for life. I worked for that money. And I wanted the money to go for the purpose. But I wanted to go to my friend. And this dictator, this large, unattractive woman, determined I have this power and I will determine where it goes basically told me, you are not going to make the rules. You are not important enough to decide where it goes. And the theme of that, guys, was you could work your ass off, but if you are not what we deem important, you will have no say in your efforts. Well, Linda, look at the scoreboard lady. Just a horrible human being, in my opinion. I know people love her. I know I'll probably get a couple Facebook deletes on it. I won't lose sleep over that today. But um, remember she told us once 
that every year she goes to Holy Spirit when we're placed in classes. Now, I didn't go to Holy Spirit. I went to AC. Thank God for that. That's another story. But she said how she would go <clears throat> to the administrators at Holy Spirit and tell them to lower the classes her students were placed in. I think that speaks volumes about the level of education we received at St. James. Father Sullivan. Part of me would like to tell Father Sullivan I hope he's burning in hell. But the way his life ended, that's probably a fact. I lost big jobs defending him on molestation cases. Always wanted the approval of Sully. He was the biggest figure at St. James. You've heard me talk about him before. I'm going to tell one story today about Sullivan. And if you're listening wherever you are, I hope you lock in on this. Because you were an asshole saying this to me. Because there's so many ways I can go with this one. We were really poor. Things were tough financially. And we always had a lot of animals. Like the alley cats and stuff. We would bring them home and we'd feed them and shelter them. And Animals are so much better than people. Let me be clear on that. All right. I've said that in 1990. I reaffirmed that in 2022. Sully said to me, if you want to help your family out financially, be a man and get rid of your cats. Let me tell you something. Those cats, Lightning, Kitten Little, Fuzzy, Fluffy, Pumpkin, and many others I can name right now. Those cats played such a vital role in helping me get the hell out of the goddamn ghetto. And this disturbed asshole, who years later would admit to molesting children, who I lost jobs defending, told my 13-year-old self, as I was working my ass off as a rectory sitter and other odd jobs and playing baseball, trying to throw money into my family situation to get rid of my animals, because they were financially not feasible. Dude, you're messed up, man. And I told him that day, I will never get rid of my animals. My animals would eat before me. They, my animals will never go without. And he said to me, you're defiant. This is why you're not going to be successful in life. So I guess giving my cats up to an animal shelter would have been the path to success, according to Brendan V. Sullivan. He once said to me, not long before he died, you've got a law degree and you passed the bar now. You may never practice a day in your life, but you've already proven people wrong. I myself am shocked that you made it through the New Jersey bar exam. So, if you don't do anything else in life, you beat the odds. Congratulations on that. And I said to him, I want to be a big-time lawyer. And he goes, well, come on, Bill. That's not going to happen. And he ate his steak and laughed.
Now, you know, I go on and on about the fashion shows and the chicken clam bakes and the altar boy schedules, all those other happy horse sh That place dictated who was going to be successful. It dictated our paths. It wrote this screwed up script that told you who was important and who was not. And I was nothing more than a god outlier. I beat the odds of St. James, and it took a strong mentality to do that. However, why did the people that were in charge of the religion and the school determine your path? If they saw a kid that had a learning disability, why didn't they help the kid instead of mocking the kid in a class? If they saw somebody that had a talent, why didn't they help mold that talent? I was told I argue too much. I question everything. And if you argue against authority and you question everything, you, Bill Amadea, will never be successful in life. And you better learn that right now. Okay, then. When I got the request for donations from St. James, this is like electric anger that went through me. To the people that went to St. James, that were not the chosen ones. I want you to remember one thing. They were wrong. Because the only thing those assholes were chosen for was that a little tiny bit of power in a small little universe. They couldn't make it in the real world, and that's why they were stuck at St. James. Because the real world, when people are facing life in prison and you're fighting for someone's freedom, and you're making your investments and buying properties and telling the world to kiss your ass, that's a world the assholes at St. James would never have a clue how to survive in. And that is my perception of St. James. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. We're going to talk some trash about people from the past, which people seem to love. Uh, the Vetner Ice Rink. I'm going to start with that one. And all I could say is I've never seen... In a small town, Vetner was a small town. Atlantic City was a big town. Vetner was small. Such a group of ass congregating around this area, which was supposed to be athletic. They were just there to hang out. I was actually there to skate. We'll talk about that. <laughs> and then years later, we advanced to Blockbuster Video. Yeah, Blockbuster Video was something about that place. It was like the um, the record store of the two thousands, like. If you worked at Blockbuster, you were a big deal. So, okay. Um, had a former client's sister send me a song today called High Hopes from Yours Truly. Um, as I'm listening to the lyrics, I'm not sure if they're in love with me or they're just mentally out of it, but they did send that song to me. You know, I looked at the lyrics, I was like, whoa, okay. What's up, Amber Heath? 
Amber, he said, what's up, money? Yeah, yeah, hanging. Alright, let's talk about Vetner. The Vetner ice rink was right across the street from St. James. And St. James, mm, that's where we went to grammar school and where I was an altar boy at church and stuff. So, let's break that down. We're coming from Atlantic City, right? We're going to Vetner. Vetner's the suburbs. And we're thinking, um, you know, this is the promised land. A lot of assholes in Vetner. And the one thing that was really big was the Vetner ice rink. The ice rink was a huge area where we would all congregate. This was the spot. I actually had two of my first dates at the Vetner ice rink. And this was a sign of things to come. It was a disaster these dates. We'll talk about them. Alright, so, the first thing about the Vetner Ice Rink was Shore Hockey School. This is where I played hockey. And there were three coaches there. Pete Salata, Paul Macignano, and Decker Batali. Three great guys. And as we learned, I just was not a good hockey player. I was a lousy skater. And one of the things they used to tell us was if you went to skating during the week, you would improve. And I did. So I used to go to the ice rink and practice, practice, practice. What I've learned was a couple things. One, it's not good taking a bus home to the ghetto with a hockey bag over you. I was like, because the bag was bigger than me, right? I mean, if you want to get mugged, this was a way to do it. So, don't try that at home. <laughs> or anywhere, for that matter. And the second thing I learned is... I was one of the few people that was actually going there to practice my skating. And this really pissed off Father Sullivan. I mean, we've talked a lot about Father Sullivan. You guys have heard some things, but he hated ice hockey. That was one of his things. It's like, you know what? You had to make a choice between religion and playing hockey. And hockey was on Sundays. So I had to negotiate with him. If I did the Saturday night mass... And then the Sunday night mass, I could play hockey. And again, thank you for that, Father Sullivan, wherever you are. He's passed away. But, um, you know, there was nothing quite as fun as having my hockey gear home after Sunday night mass. Sullivan reminded me of Jim Jones in some ways. Now, he wasn't evil on the level of Jim Jones. Let me be clear about that. But he was very jealous of kids playing sports. He thought that sports actually took away from religion. It was a very bizarre thing. He felt like you couldn't do both. You know? The Ventnor Rink was really... It was about socialization. And this is where we start to separate based on social economics, right? It was the wealthier kids, was the poorer kids, who had the better skates, who didn't was a weird mix and one of the things that used to happen on Friday nights at the Ventnor rink was a bunch of older kids were there these were like kids like 17 and we're like 13 skating and these 17 year olds they would just chill they'd be watching people skate what we're learning today is they were like predators you know it was like the 17 year old kids that were hooking up the 13 year old girls today that would be CSC3's all day but back then, in the 90s, it was just social accepted behavior. 
I wasn't part of it. I was the one trying to date 13-year-old girls my own age, and they were dissing me for the 17-year-old weirdos that were hanging by the ice rink. And what I used to do, and I know that some of the live audience doesn't approve of this, but I used to put my headphones on, and I used to practice my skating. Now, this wasn't the coolest thing in the world to do. Understand this. Because this is back before iPads and all that. Like, I had, like, headphones and a tape deck. And I'd have it, and I'm freezing on the rink. It wasn't a good look, you know? But I want to become a better hockey player. So I'm playing on the rink, and I'm doing all that happy horse shit. And um, you start socializing with certain girls. And I remember I was so excited. At 14, I had my first real date. Pretty blonde. And I'm pretty excited. She kind of made a move on me. And I'm thinking, I'm the man, right? So I take her to the ice rink. I, being the gentleman I am... I buy her ticket to the rink, get her a hot chocolate. This is it. Maybe my first kiss tonight. Nope. Not what happened at all. What happened instead was one of those 17-year-olds, she was trying to get with him, and she made him jealous with me. So, being a small 14-year-old and this large 17-year-old, he decided to call me out in a fight. I fought. Unsuccessfully, I might add. I got my ass kicked at the Ventnor Ice Rink. And, um, I gotta tell you, the supervisors there, they didn't really do anything. The adults that were supposed to be watching, I think they just enjoyed me watching. You know, I got a bloody nose, and Aunt Mary goes, how was your date? How do you think? And um, later she apologized for that. Um, so that was an interesting first date. I was used for the older punk. I'll tell you what happened to him later. Spoiler alert. He's not doing big things today. My second date was several weeks later to Venner Ice Rink. Now you thought I would have learned from the first one, right? Nope. This time, it was a girl I went to uh, school with. And she goes, hey, why don't we go to the ice rink together? And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is really cool. I'm all excited. So I do the whole thing again. I buy her tickets and get her the hot chocolate. I'm all excited. We're holding hands on the ice rink. And now she was a freshman in high school, but she's dating this little punk who's in sixth grade. And she used me to piss him off. Now this kid, a couple years younger than us, he was, he was a nobody. But luckily for me, he hung out with older kids who um, wouldn't dare let anything happen to him. So I got roughed up again. And she went over to him. So either the older weirdos or the younger weirdos, I was being used. I, I guess I was cute because I must have been leveraged for these idiots, right? They're skating with me. They're going to piss off the guy they liked. I'm pleased to say that not only do I feel I'm much more attracted than those people today, but both that kid that was the older one, the younger one, are both living in the same facility in the New Jersey Department of Corrections today. Um, they, um, they like to deal narcotics. And I saw the girls on Facebook, I got friend requests, and whew, all I could say is thank God for unanswered prayers. 
Man, I tell you, if that would have worked out at 14, whoa! Would have been a fucking mistake at 30. I am so glad that the Butner Ice Rink was not successful with dating. I'll tell you, it was bad. You know? I mean, I don't want to get my ass kicked, but these girls are not even attractive today. They used me at 14. <laughs> you know, what the hell? I deserve that. I bought the tickets, I got the cocoa, I just wanted to hold hands, maybe kiss the end of the night. Nope. Not gonna happen. It was... There were really weird clicks, too. It was like... There were the group of people that actually wanted to skate. Then the ones that were hanging out. The cool kids that were smoking. The ones that were sniffing glue. Yeah, it was the weird ones. I mean... Vendor Ice Rink had its clicks, man. You know, and, you know, what says something about me is, I kept going back. I was like, why? Like, why the hell would you continue to go back to the goddamn rink where you keep getting used and beat up? I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. Even when getting my ass kicked at 14, I knew I was burning the guys I was being played for, so I said to myself that, I remember Mr. Harper, our high school principal, it was a week after I got beat up once at the ice rink. You know, it was bad enough on the ghetto, you know, the f***ing jitney rides, but the ice rink is supposed to be safe. Oops. Mr. Harper, good good principal, right? He says to us one day, you're going to look back and high school will be the best time of your life. <laughs> yeah, f*** you. <laughs> I knew that was bullshit. And the Ventnor ice rink, it was, um, remember this at home, guys. Those guys that are high school heroes or the ones that are cool in high school, it, it's fleeting, man. You know, the people who are high school is really the best four years of their life have really sad lives. That's one of the horrible things about Facebook. Facebook, basically, it's a great marketing tool. God knows I've used it. It's helped our firm. But it also allows idiots that were really big in high school to recapture that excitement. We are cool again. We have our groups. Alright, knock yourself out with that one. And that was the Vendor Ice Rink. Now, Blockbuster. To me, this is when the Vetner Ice Rink grew up. Blockbuster video was such a huge thing in the late 90s and early 2000s. And what you used to do on your days off from work or after work, whatever, you go get your videos. You know? You've been there, right? Yeah, yeah you get the videos. It was your thing. And it was always what videos were coming out. And they always had, like, three of the new one. And you want to get there first to get that new one. You know? There was no on-demand back then. You know? There was no Netflix. There was a race to get these cool films and have some of your crew over. It's like a dollar forty-nine. Oh, you didn't rewind, sir. Jesus. And they were cocky about it, too. When you didn't rewind the tape at Blockbuster, they gave you shit. So at Blockbuster, it was like this inner circle. Let me tell you about the Blockbuster employee. Very stereotypical right now. They were usually somebody who started smoking pot very young. Didn't make it through college. And 
they were the cool kids because they had control over who got those three tapes. You wanted to get those three tapes, you had to have an in. I remember getting there one time and wanted, like, I forget what movie it was, but I was like the first one there and the guy at Blockbuster didn't like me. He's like, nope, we're out. I was pissed. I was really pissed, so I waited around, I circled around. And this other kid got it like two hours later. And I went in there and said, Ah! So he didn't have it. Why'd he get it? And you learned that day, you know, it was like a hierarchy. Who was going to get it? Who wasn't? And this was at the Vetner Plaza. The Vetner Plaza in Vetner Heights, New Jersey, was where ass went to congregate. These kids would just chill out the plaza just to hang out and talk. At the plaza, there was ShopRite, there was Bradley's, there was a department store, there's all these little stores, and then there was Blockbuster. And Blockbuster, to me, was like, I don't know, it was one of those places where you try to fit in because you want to buy, you want to rent your films. That's all you want to do. You want to rent the films and be cool. You went with your crew. And eventually, it got became like a status symbol. You didn't go into Blockbuster alone. If you went in the Blockbuster alone, you were a geek. So me, Q, and Scotty Zolber, may he rest in peace, we used to have this thing where we would always meet to go to Blockbuster together. Lucky back then, it's tragic, right? <laughs> you know, but back then, it was the sh You know, and when I hear older people tell me about record stores, I think of Blockbuster Video. Blockbuster Video was the in place. And the people that controlled the power at Blockbuster Video were also some of the people that were cool in high school and couldn't make it through college. Or ones that were okay in college, couldn't make it in the real world. They had their blue Blockbuster suit on and they thought they were big deals with it and they controlled the films. Remember one time, and you know, remember, this is before DVR and all that. I used to go rent Sopranos. These are the three disc Sopranos, right? You could like, get three episodes of the Sopranos. I used to go in there, and this one ass his name was Jacob. He was a manager at Blockbuster. Didn't you watch? He was already on HBO. Yeah, oh, what, dude? Can you just ring me the up? Seriously. Jacob's done some time. I, I will say, I really enjoy the fact that so many of my enemies have like done prison time. And I keep people out of prison. I get a kick out of that. I was talking to um, the live audience today, and I was telling them, they said, what is the, your ideas for Facebook Lives? And I, I realized now I'm successful. I could just say weird people are going to listen. Four years ago, I'd be a weirdo on this thing. Now it's like, oh, look how creative Bill is. A blockbuster video. All right, that's Blockbuster Video and the Ventner Ice Ring. That's all I got today, guys. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message. Have a good night. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between 
between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.